Good evening. Good to see everybody tonight. Thank you for being here. A few months ago, Brother Jedediah told me, he said, you're an Old Testament preacher. I thought he was complimenting my style of preaching, but in fact, he was talking about my text. And uh, well, that's natural. There's more Old Testament than New Testament. It's easier to find sermons there. But I got to thinking, I better change things. And so last time I preached, I preached from the New Testament. And if you remember, he got up after that and claimed that I stole his outline. So Ezekiel chapter 22 is where we're going to be tonight. That's in the Old Testament. I read with our family last night from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul talks about the children of Israel and he says these things were done for your admonition. The things of the Old Testament, there are many types, many pictures, many illustrations of what we would encounter in our day. Thus it behooves us to really study it out and not to necessarily follow all the details of what the law was given to the Jews, but much in it is given for our admonition and hopefully we'll find some of that tonight. So if you have the word of God open there to Ezekiel 22, would you stand with me? We'll begin reading in verse number... 23, says the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. We're in Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-five. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls, they have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane, neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And then most of us are familiar with verse number 30. It says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Ezekiel's writing to a nation, Jerusalem, the city, or the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, and pronouncing judgment upon it. We're going to look at these three different leaders who ought to be leaders in their day, the prophets, the priests, and the princes, and look at how they applied our day. But these were the groups that should have been leading by their example with godliness and righteousness, but in fact they were leading a rebellion. Thus God said, I'm going to destroy the land. But he said, before I do, I'm going to search for someone some group, some person, some individual who would stand in the gap, make up the hedge, and he says, stand before me that I might not destroy it. But he couldn't find a man. We're going to look at that verse tonight and consider this subject, one to fill the gap. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. May we understand it as you desire us to, and may we be encouraged and strengthened by it, that you might be glorified tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 
If we were to look back through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we could think of many characters who God raised up in evil days, sometimes in perilous times, who filled different gaps. You could look at the man Joseph who stood in the gap to save the the nation of Egypt and his own family back in the Canaan land. You could look at Samuel when there was a dearth for God and his word. Then God called Samuel as a young man, just a child when he called Samuel. David as a teenager changed the mindset of all Israel when he killed Goliath. Esther, this godly woman who through prayer and fasting and faith stood up against the king and saved her own people. We could look at Daniel, as we heard from uh, the sermon Sunday night, and his prophecy that we're still reading and considering today, because he was a man of God, a man of faith, who, as we sometimes use the expression, dared to stand, as some would dare to be like a Daniel. You could think of John the Baptist, when there had been hundreds of years of a lack of preaching of of godliness and and just God's voice being uttered, then stepped into the way John the Baptist to prepare the way for Christ. You could look at Mary, this young woman who in her godliness and sincerity and purity, God was able to use to bring Christ into the earth. You could look at the Apostle Paul who paved the way for missions as we know it. All these people and many more we could consider, and you could even go through the ages since the time of Christ. And consider many men and women, sometimes churches, sometimes organizations or uh, missionaries and works on different foreign fields who stood in the gap. That that phrase or the expression to stand in the gap, for Israel it was very common for nations to have walls around them, different types of boundaries. Um, It was common for farmers to build uh, rock walls or dirt walls, sometimes with um, hedges grown into them or on top of them to keep out, obviously, enemy from the nations, but then wild beasts or um, even it could be, you know, to keep children out of your garden, um, whatever might destroy it. And so they would build walls. And if there was a a break or a breach in the gap or in the wall, it, it should be filled. Well, God is talking about a breach or a gap of morality in the nation. There was a a breach or a gap or a a lack in the purity and the the established word of God and for truth. There were many things that were being neglected in the days of Ezekiel. And I don't think it would take much convincing anyone in this room to know that in our day, this generation we're living in is a generation whose moral fabric has many gaps in it, many holes. I'm not a football fan. I know very little about football. People talk about football and name all these different positions, and I don't have much clue what they're talking about, except for there's a quarterback, there's guys who run, and there's guys that catch. But on on defense, I know that a bunch of big, burly guys line up, and the goal is to get the guy with the ball. And there's men on the offense who are doing the same thing, but instead of getting the ball, they're trying to protect the ball. And I know that if there's a gap in the defense, often they call it a hole in the line because this line is built of men to keep the ball from coming through. And when it's easily penetrated, whether it be from just an unfilled gap through the confusion and the chaos after the snap, 
That's where the quarterback yells a bunch of numbers, grunts a couple times, and then says hike, and then the ball proceeds. When that line is broken after the scrimmage, sometimes it's through the confusion and the chaos. Sometimes it's because of the overpowering of the offense. Sometimes it's just unfocused players. Uh, Some of our players on the, the teams here at the school have been in a situation where they lost track of who they were guarding and someone made an easy layup. Or the opponent didn't realize they were guarding you and you had a chance to make an easy layup. It was an unfilled gap. There was an opportunity for the offense to overpower the defense, not because the offense was that much stronger than the defense, but because the defense wasn't prepared and wasn't ready. That's what was happening in Ezekiel's day, and I think in many cases that's what's happened in our day. There's been a lack of gap fillers, if you will. There's been a a lack of men and women who would stand up boldly and say, no, this is where we're going to stand. We're not going to back down. We're not going to compromise, regardless of what's popular, regardless of where the the, society is heading. We're going to stand upon truth. We're going to stand upon the word of God. If we were to look in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, don't turn there, most of you know it. Peter writes and says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan is on the offense, and he's seeking to devour. He's seeking to devour you. The thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's come to divide and to destroy your family. He's come to divide and destroy the church. He's come to divide and destroy your children and the next generation. And he's, he's constant, he's continual, he's resilient. Judah was in such a case in Ezekiel's day. And when God sought for a man, he was unable to find any. Let's look back in verse number, let's look in 25. We began in verse 23, but let's consider these three types or groups of people. First of all, in verse 25, it says, That there is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof like a roaring lion, ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. The prophets were those who were supposed to preach, thus saith the Lord. And in fact, if you look down in verse number 28 and uh, just kind of jump to the middle, and I'm going to just jump in the middle of the verse, and it says, and divining lies unto them, saying, this is... The end phrase, it says, thus saith the Lord. That's what the prophets were saying. Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord had not spoken. It wasn't God's word, but they were preaching it as though it was God's word. See, these were the men who were supposed to boldly preach and proclaim the word of God. Yet they were deceiving and devouring. Similar to in our generation, where we have preachers who are preaching all kinds of things, opinions, you know, what's popular, what's easy to hear, what's um, maybe refreshing. I, I sat with a man in a lunch break several years ago at my work, and he said, I, I grew up going to this, it wasn't a Baptist church, but it sounded like one. He said, he, that pastor, he was just one of those, you know, fire and brimstone preachers. And, you know, you, you'd leave and you just felt bad when you left church. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just listening. Huh, that's kind of how you're supposed to feel whenever he exposes your sin. That means there's something wrong with you. 
But I didn't say that. I just listened. He goes, now I go to this church. And he, he began by saying, you never believe, it was right after Easter. He goes, you never believe who was at our church Sunday. Like, you're right. Who was it? He goes, Jesus. He, they had this big theatrical stage play and uh, the tomb was there and all of a sudden out walks Jesus. And uh, he goes, you know, I like this one a lot better because I go home and I just feel great. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and on Monday you could tell why he felt great because there was no change. Nothing affected his actual spiritual or moral life. And that's common. It's common to be entertained. It's common to be, uh, you know, made to feel better about yourself. But the absence of preaching, and by the way, truth does make you feel better. The forgiveness of sins, the name written down in glory, the eternity of your soul, the opportunity to reach the lost is refreshing and exciting and entertaining. This selfish, everybody's got to please me, spirituality and Christianity that's not biblical is not really all that satisfying. That's, that's what the flesh desires and that's what the world gives and it, it wasn't satisfying. Why is it going to be any more satisfying when it's under the guise of Christianity? But that's exactly what the, the, the preachers were doing. Look back in verse number 25. There's a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like roaring lions, ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. They were greedy. They were lustful. They were desirous of what they could gain. And to, to use the people as their pawns to take advantage of them was their desire. And we see that often in our day. Verse number 26 says, her priest, that's the second group. Her priests have violated my laws and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbath. And I am profaned. Among them, we see the priests who were the keepers of the tabernacle or of the temple. They, th their job requirement was to offer the sacrifices, to go into the holy place, to offer the incense, which was a picture of prayers, to take the blood in, which, which uh, represents Christ's blood and the forgiveness of sin. And their, their responsibility was very sacred. Their, their responsibilities were very righteous and holy. They were God-anointed. But instead, they had perverted and profaned their responsibilities and their requirements. They had twisted them to manipulate in the, in the, the desires that they had and fulfill their desires. They, they had profaned them by just going about it in their own means and in their own ways. They had neglected the commands of Scripture and went about it as they saw fit. I see here, and we'll, we'll look back at these in a moment, but what a picture of prayer this is. The priests were the one who stood in between. They went in for the people. They stood as the intercessor or the, 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 the prayer warrior, as we might call it in our day. They went in there and stood between God and the, and, and the person. The sinner was here, and they took the blood, and they went in, and they stood between the sinner, and they stood between him and God. A responsibility as believers that we have today to pray for others. But even then, we, we see prayer being twisted and manipulated as well. Perverted in a way that man has said, you know, prayer is just a means by which we get whatever we want from God. We see these, uh, you know, the, the, the get-rich-quick preachers, the, uh, the wealth and prosperity, where you just name it and claim it. 
Whatever you want from God, you, you just ask him for and you'll get it. Well, James is very clear when he says you, you have not because you, you desire and you want to fulfill your lust by your praying. You perverted what God had made holy. So was the case in uh, Ezekiel's day. Verse number 27 says, Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey. To shed blood and to destroy souls. To get dishonest gain. These princes who were like the authority, they, they would have been the protectors. They were disguised and destroying. They, they went in as a protector, but they were nothing more than wolves. We use the phrase wolves in sheep's clothes. They looked like the princes, but they were acting like wolves. And, and instead of protecting and leading... They were destroying. When I look at this, I consider the, the responsibility or the protectors of God-instituted authority, like the role of a pastor, the role of a husband, the role of parents, the role of teachers. And God, I think, still, as 30 says, let's read it again, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. You know, one could look at this and look at our day and consider and say, you know, we've just crossed some boundaries and we can't, we can't go back. You know, that's sometimes an easy approach to take to spirituality and maybe spiritual neglect. And say, you know, I, I know our responsibility as believers is to pray for the lost and to witness and to reach out in the community and to invite those to the Easter service and to try to train the next generation. But this next generation in the world has just become so dark. There's, what's the point of even trying? There's this temptation. And I know a lot of people who've done this who, who feel like their, their responsibility is to shelter their home and their family and pray the rapture comes soon. You know, sometimes that doesn't sound like a bad idea. But you know, that's not the biblical approach to the end times. Not only that, is could I just consider an idea with you for a moment? You know, the, the beauty of light and the brightness of light often is affected by the lack of light, Right? You, you've all done this where you went into a dark room and you felt around for the light switch and all of a sudden you flipped it on and immediately you regretted what you've done. You flipped it on and you realize that's too much light. It's too bright. Or you've I've had this happen where someone had their phone and they were using just the screen to look for something. It happened to be my wife in the, in the dark bedroom and she was looking for something and she shook it just right and that little flashlight flipped on. Well, it was turned backwards to where that flashlight was right in my face. And that little bitty light, that if you were to turn it on right now, hardly makes an impression. doesn't change much. But when you turn all the lights off and it's very dark, all of a sudden that small beam becomes very bright. If we could compare that to this day we're living in, the, the lack of righteousness and the lack of truth has become such a, such a reality in our day. The light's going to become brighter and brighter and the, the purity of true light is going to be that much more easy to identify. I could be wrong, but I think there's going to come a day, even in our country, 
where we might see a desire for truth. You know, what a shame to see even sometimes folks who claim to be believers and they have no desire for truth. They want their sports, they want their entertainment, they want their pastime, they want their hobbies, while the Word of God grows dust. There's no longing for truth. But I think there's going to come a day where maybe in my lifetime, maybe in our children's lifetime, where this neglect for truth is going to be such a, a obvious and evident per, personal reality that there becomes a longing for something. You know, you saw that even in the, some of the, the, the cold European countries after the, uh, you know, the, the, the days of Hitler even. There was, there was this longing when they were so persecuted for, with religious opposition and the, 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 the regimes were coming in. The believers became so hungry for truth. They were willing to be persecuted. You saw that in the first century, right after Christ and even just you know, in the, in the days of Acts where, where there was such an absence for real truth and they longed to hear the words of Christ. They longed to hear the word of God. They were, able to, they were willing to suffer and be persecuted and even die for it. I think that gives, us a, gives me a motivation to continue to stand, to continue to reach out, to continue to trust the Lord that there is hope in our day. Let's go back and look at these and just compare them to what we have as far as our resources. Number one in verse 25, it talked about the prophets. I think we could compare our preachers or preaching to that today. Can I just say and remind you tonight that we should thank God for a church that has a pastor who stands for the word of God and stands for truth. You ought to be so thankful. You could go up and down the streets tonight where churches aren't assembling because they don't have church on Wednesday nights. But if you do find one or you go Sunday, you'll be hard-pressed to find a man that gets up and says, Thus saith the Lord, this is the word of God, and we're standing on the word of God. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my uh, soapbox. This isn't my desires. We're going to stand on truth. You're hard-pressed to find it. You could go all throughout our country and different countries and you could find all kinds of teachings and all kinds of opinions and all kinds of sways and all kinds of re religious ideas, but to find Bible truth is hard to come about in our day. We ought to thank God for truth. We ought to not just thank God, we ought to hold to the truth. I'm reminded often of the story Brother Ross tells about the church they went to as kids and the pastor, I forget age or got tired of looking at folks like him and whatever, that he resigned. And he was a man who stood for Bible preaching. He resigned and they began to have men come in and fill the pulpit. And he said it, people would come, men would come in and you know, say, you know, the, you guys usually use a King James Bible, but I'm going to use an NIV. And, and the people just were like, okay. <laughs> Listen, I got news for you folks. Somebody gets up and does that one day when pastor's gone, I'm going to be sitting right here on the front row. And I'm going to meet him right here and I'm going to say, you're dismissed. And hopefully I got some men to back me up. Especially if he's bigger than I am. Right? You're dismissed. Thank you. No thanks. Listen, we're not here for, we're not here for opinions. We're not here for, 
for compromise. Let's stand on the Word of God. Be thankful that you have a preacher. But let's not just leave the preaching of the gospel up to him. See, the command to preach behind a pulpit into a congregation and as a, a, a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary, what we call, is given to the, the task of a man. But the command to preach the gospel has been given to all people, all Christians. It's been given to the church as the, 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 the deliverer of that truth. But you make up the church, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're a man or whether a woman. You make up the church. It's your responsibility. It's, and I say your as in it's our responsibility. We're living in a day where people don't want to share the good news. They, they don't want to give their testimony. They don't want to um, try to win the lost around them and be a, a good witness to their co-workers and to their neighbors and to their family members. But I believe today God's still looking for men who would stand in that gap and say, I'm going to be a witness. As the lights grow dim, I'm going to stand for truth. As the lights grow down, I'm going to broadcast this truth. You say, well, you know, the, 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 the field is just so hard. It was hard when the sower was sowing the seed. Some fell by the wayside, but he still sowed the seed. He knew some of the seed would fall by the wayside and fall on the stones and fall um, on th in the thorny uh, side, but he still sowed the seed. We ought to keep sowing the seed. Let's stand in the gap as the sowers of the gospel truth. Number two in verse 26, we see her priests. Again, I made mention of this a moment ago. I think that's a perfect picture of prayer. And I'm for, what, sometimes we use the word prayer and we kind of lump all the um, times we spend with God into them, but I, I was talking to some of our boys the other night, you know, there are different types of what we might call pray, prayer. There's praise, there's thanksgiving, right, where I'm going to look at in just a minute the, the need for intercessory prayer. But there are, are different forms of praying. The praying that you do before your meal isn't, hopefully that's not the only type of praying you do. The praise that sometimes you do, and, and, and pray, prayer isn't always with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Um, you know, the, the singing we did just a moment ago, if the songs you sang were from the heart directed to God, that's a type of prayer. It's you're, you're, you're communicating with the Lord. As you drive to work, maybe, if you're like me, frequently in the mornings I'll listen to good godly music, and I'm encouraged before I even start my day Yesterday, I was driving, I made a delivery out to Indianapolis, and I knew there's a certain point where there's a gospel radio station with good sound. It's hard to find good gospel music. And I knew right about where it was, and I found that station. And, uh, you know, I'm watching these guys go by, and they're, you know, they're bebopping to their, their, their tunes. And, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to shout. I'm driving down the road. They're probably thinking I'm crazy. But, man, we hit the third verse of Victory in Jesus. You know, and I'm, I'm enjoying myself. That's a type of praise. We're praising the Lord. But there's another type of prayer that I think has become neglected. And that's the intercessory prayer. Where you go to God on the behalf of others. You, you seek the Lord on the behalf of the lost. You go to, you go to God and, and plead with Him. You're standing in between the, the lost one and the judgment of God. You're standing in between a sinful world and the righteousness of God. And you go to him and, and you seek him on the behalf of others. You're not looking for things for yourself. So often our prayers are so focused on ourselves. 
and a lot of praying ought to be. James said, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. There's nothing wrong with asking for things. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with requesting things from God or seeking God for our daily needs. But that shouldn't be the end of it. It shouldn't end with selfish praying. It ought, to be, it ought to go a step further and become a selfless, sacrificial prayer where we, we pray for others. I believe every Christian ought to have people on a prayer list where they're seeking God for people. It could be people in your family. It could be people in your church. It may not be people who have necessarily a... A, a problem. Sometimes we think, well, we got to pray for sick people, and we got to pray for lost people, and we got to pray for backslidden people. Well, if you can't think of anybody else to pray for, pray for me. All right? I, I got as many problems as you all have, and I worked with the teenagers. That just amplified it, right? By the 20th power. Pray for me. Pray for pastor. <clears throat> pray for, and, and by the way, when you pray for people, Make it a habit occasionally. You don't have to do this every time, but occasionally tell them you're praying for them. Tell them you're seeking the Lord for them. It doesn't have to be you say, well, well, you know, there's nothing going on in their life. Why would I tell them? Well, just to encourage them. You never know what they're going through that day. Reach out to them and let them know. Let me look at just a couple verses with that in mind. Look at Isaiah 2. Three uh, books, I guess, to the left. Two, two big books to the left. Isaiah chapter number 62. <clears throat> In verse number 6, by the way, the book of Isaiah is, is similar to, to Ezekiel. He's talking about the judgment of God, and he's also talking about the coming Messiah and the redemption of Israel. He says, God's going to redeem you. You are going to go through judgment, but one day you're going to be redeemed. You're going to have a redemption as a nation. And he says in verse number 6 of 62, I've set a watchman upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Look at verse number 7. He says, and give him no rest till he establish." until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, we're not praying for the redemption of Israel today, but there are things that we ought to be praying for, and I think we could claim that same command and say, don't stop praying until you see it come to pass. Don't stop making mention of it. Keep bothering the Lord with it. Keep, you remember that woman in the New Testament Jesus talked about? She, she just kept coming and coming and coming. And finally, the... The, the unrighteous judge gave her her request. And then he makes the, the transition and says, think about the righteous judge, Christ, the, the, the Lord. How much more does he want to answer those requests as you continue to pray? Don't turn there. Pastor read this the other night also. But in Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. We know who that is. Look at what it says about Satan, which accuses them before our God day and night, constantly. Around the clock, Satan is before God accusing you if you're saved. 
He's accusing our pastor. He's accusing our missionaries. He's accusing your wife. He's accusing your children. He's accusing the young people in the, in the church. And by the way, sometimes we give him ammunition to accuse us with. But wouldn't it be nice that when he's up there accusing you before God, that there's someone praying for you at the same time and interrupting the accusations of Satan with the prayer of the saint. We ought to be filling that gap of intercessory prayer. So the, the, the gap of preaching and the gap of prayer, and then finally we'll wrap up here in verse um, number 27. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey. We're back in Ezekiel 22. To shed blood and to destroy souls and to get dishonest gain. These princes were the leaders. They, they were the government, you know. They got your back. They're here to help. We're the government. We're here to help. And like, like our government today, they're like ravening wolves, seeking to shed blood and to destroy souls and to raise your taxes. And to get, it says get gain. What do you, how do you think they got that gain? The princes here in verse number 27, I, I would c- compare them to the protectors or the protection. Let's look at one more verse and then we'll, I'll just make a couple thoughts concerning that. Look over in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 13. We often quote this verse to our young people to encourage them to obey. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now, just that in and of itself is a good command. And there's, if it didn't say anything else, it would be safe to obey. Obey those that have the rule over you. But look at what he says, for they watch for your souls. As they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Now, I don't know who wrote Hebrews. Let's just say it's Paul and not argue about it. If it was Paul, he was conscious and aware of his responsibility to reach the lost as God commissioned him. And he says, obey those who have the rule over you. And in his case, it could be him as their, as their, their guide or their, at times their shepherd. And he said, I don't want you to obey me or obey those who have the rule over you just because they're giving the command, but they're watching for your souls, and they must give account of it. They're under a great responsibility that's been given to them, an assignment given by God, and they're going to give an account for how they do it. But, he says, it's unprofitable for you if you neglect it. See, I believe, first of all, if we're doing our job faithfully, if we are obeying Christ's commands consistently and in the spirit of God and no one follows, you know, you don't have to feel guilty about that. Now, I, I've heard preachers at times and there have been, there've been those who basically put so much pressure on people to do right and if, you know, things go wrong, it's still your fault. You know, we're living in, think about Adam and Eve. They came out of the Garden of Eden to our knowledge, they'd made one slip up and their first son becomes a murderer. 
you know, there's a, I mean, parenting 101. Perfect parents, one mistake, murdered son. And he, and he, he it's like he killed his enemy, he killed his own brother. All right? So, we're, you know, we're living in a, a broken world. We're living in a condemned world. But with that in mind, God has given certain people authority and responsibilities. And he said, we're watching, similar to the, the words of these, these prophets, they were, they were watchmen. They were supposed to be watching the spiritual uh, condition of the land. They were supposed to be overseeing it. There was watchmen who would sit on the wall and they would watch out for danger or harm and they would raise the alarm. But if no one listened to the alarm when they raised it, their blood, the people's blood who perished was not on the watchman's hands. It was only on his hands if he failed to warn the people. God has given different groups in here great responsibility. If you're a parent, God's given you responsibility to raise your children the way God wants them to be raised. If you're a husband, you have the responsibility to lead your home, as the Bible commands you to. If you're a teacher, you've, you've entered into a role of responsibility to watch the, the spiritual condition of the students in your class. If you're a believer in a, a, an environment of lost people, I believe just by default, you become the assigned person to reach out to them with the gospel. And to watch for one's soul, to, to be vigilant, as, for, as Peter said. To be aware, to be concerned, to be, to be focused. We could go back to the sports analogy. So often... The time for failure is right after victory. You ever seen that happen? Guys are all jumping around, excited, and then the other team scores on them because they were too busy high-fiving each other instead of paying attention. Or the, the girls are too busy high-fiving each other to realize the other team's serving. That's never happened, I'm sure. Sometimes spiritually we do the same thing. We get excited and we, we think, you know, I, I need to really... Consider these things. These are areas that I need to stand in the gap on. These are areas maybe in my family that I've neglected or in my ministry that I've neglected or in my personal life I've neglected. You know, we get sometimes charged up and we get motivated and then the devil really comes after us. And we find we lose our focus on what we're really supposed to be doing. Can I encourage you tonight... Not to just get motivated by the scripture or encouraged by the words, but may we really look inwardly and say, you know, where am I spiritually? We know our world's in a mess, but where am I? Have I allowed these gaps to occur in my life? Have I allowed these gaps to occur in my home? Have I allowed these gaps to occur in my testimony? You know, the, the, the good thing about gaps in the fence, they're able to be mended. There's still a structure, but sometimes it takes some work to reinforce and, and fill in those holes. Depending on how many holes you've allowed in your fence is going to determine how long it takes to fill them. You might have a whole bunch of holes in your fence. And I encourage you by saying this, it's worth the challenge to begin to fill them in. They're not going to fill in themselves, and they're only going to get worse with neglect. Let's be gap fillers. Let's, 
Let's fill these spiritual gaps in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our community, Lord willing, in our nation, for the glory of God. Let's pray together. With you. If you would, stand with me and with your heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll pray and wrap up the message, part of things, but we're going to give you a chance that maybe if there's something God's spoken to your heart about and you'd like to pray and you'd like to seek the Lord, the altars are open. This would be a good time to maybe just surrender one of these things to God. Father, thank you for the wisdom we find from the pages of Scripture. I pray that you would help us to be aware and alert of the devil's attack upon our homes and our marriages and our church and our individual lives. May we not be so foolish as to pretend it's not existing. Lord, it's evident all around us, and we see the casualties in every direction. God, give us men and women and even young people, children who would decide, I'm going to stand up for what's right and what's true. I'm going to fill these gaps and reinforce them and hold the line that we see the coming of Christ. We pray you'd help us to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen.